Professor Brain Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash thevulnerablescientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. So you mentioned that you came from a family of scientists, yes. right? Um, and you also mentioned something to do with them saying if you were, if you did a science course, then you would have, I don't know, understood something about what you were doing at that time. So did they want you to do science or what did you really want to do before you went into university? So in in high school, I actually aced science. Which high school Uh, was that? That was uh, Episcopal Cathedral in Puerto Rico. And I actually got into, there's, um, they call it uh, in Spanish, uh, the 100 group, which is the top 100 students on the island. And I got into the School of Engineering. and I when then I decided to go to University of Connecticut, and there I flunked out of engineering. And it turned out to be the way in which science is taught. In Puerto Rico, you get sort of a historical context and a situational context, and you're taken, like, you know, um, if you're thinking about Newton, you're taken back to Newton and sitting in a tub and you were asked to reason out the process Mm -hmm. that led Newton to his discovery. After you've done all that, then you memorize, you go through formulas, you you derive some formulas to begin with. Mm -hmm. Then you can then look at all the others. In the U.S., the theory, it's read the theory by yourself Mm-hmm. And here are the formulas and apply them. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't, I don't get this. What, you know, it's just a bunch of formulas on a piece of paper. I don't see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're like, I'm going to, going to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was the option, of course, the logical thing would have been to go back to Puerto Rico, come to Kenya and study. But at mm-hmm. that point I was, too busy trying to be miss I want to be my own person mm. so <laughs> I chose political science mm. it was a choice between political science and business and uh, it was a funny choice in that when I went to and I enjoyed being with the business students mm. but all they did was talk about how to make money which is what they're supposed to be mm. and at the time social enterprise didn't exist mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, and while we're helping money, what else are we doing? Mm -hmm. And so then I went into political science thinking uh, I'd either study law or go into government. Mm -hmm. I did pre-law. I saw a couple of court cases, and I got so angry. Then I realized uh, I 
don't think I would make an objective lawyer. Mm. <laughs> emotions. Emotions. Mm. So then I decided, okay, I'll go the government route, which is I went into public policy and government. And while working in government, mm. um, which sounds odd for a political scientist, I got tired of the politics. So... <laughs> Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> that led me to consulting where I could just focus on my work and deliver an outcome and not worry about the politics um, <laughs> okay. okay so there wasn't any I mean I'm sure both parents would have loved if I had studied more chemistry and having studied that and having had some you know two years of engineering civil engineering coursework when I read scientific scientific information, it's not foreign to me. Like I, I pick it up quickly, um, and that was what a friend pointed out to me. She was like, "You're reading these scientific articles like you're reading War and Peace," and I'm like, "It's not that much different." And she was like, hey, "Yes, hey, it is." Are you sure? <laughs> there's a story in the data she's like oh whatever <laughs> i've never had someone say that like never <laughs> well there is just think of um if okay uh, give me your favorite um i know you do biochemistry so give me your favorite biochemistry topic what do you mean topic like and is it gene editing or sequencing or a particular disease or uh, is there something? Oh, okay. Um, I like the diagnostic parts when it comes to immunology. Ah, okay. Mm. So think of this recent, like this uh, COVID-19 uh, variant that has befuddled everybody. Mm -hmm. There's such a fascinating story about we've always had COVID. This is just a variant, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want to know, well, if we've always had it, why are we getting so sick? Mm -hmm. And then people realize, I was like, you know, you, you tell the story, people do die of the common flu. Mm -hmm. And then people say, but more people are dying now. Mm -hmm. So you know, it becomes like, see, you, you can... Does it sound like war and peace? No. No. <laughs> I was waiting for that part that it hasn't reached. It hasn't reached. <laughs> <laughs> so then you look at, okay, and when you go into the body and you're still, where does it get large? You know, that could be the landing point for the infiltration army mm -hmm. and it gets into stuck in the lungs and why is it that the there's no defense forces coming against it and well because it knows how to trick you know if you think of a security fence and somehow this thing can trick the security fence and make you think that the army that's invading you is not there i like the way you're explaining it 
it's so, it's so relatable. relatable. See? Are we, are we, I wish, are we, I wish those wish papers, papers that you're talking, that you're talking about, about could, could talk about it like about that, it like then that, it will be a story. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> that's the difference. That's the Complicated <laughs> language that is used. You read, then you read, then you're like, okay, now we're just, let's go next. Instead of story, yeah. a story, just read. So when I get to the language that I can't pronounce in chemistry uh, or genetics, then I just think it's a foreign language, right? If I if I were trying to speak Czechoslovakian right now, I would butcher it. Yeah. <laughs> so I look at this as whatever is written on that paper is no different from Czechoslovakian or Greek or... <laughs> Mm-hmm. So let's find out what it means. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Okay. I like that. All right. Uh-huh. So you, it was easy for you to read papers then? And then once I read it, mm-hmm. then there's a what next. And um, so for that is when I draw on my social science background. Mm-hmm. Uh, like right now, what next is understanding, trying to figure out, because I don't understand, why there's a lot of panic around vaccines. Those who grew up after mass vaccinations, I can understand because you, you know, you didn't grow up with mandatory, but my generation, you couldn't get into any school or any plane if you didn't have your stamped yellow card vaccine Yeah, yellow fever, all of the rest. And, you know, you went to school and sometimes they would ask you, have you had this lately? And you're like, I didn't even know I was supposed to have it. Just give it to me. (laughs) No questions asked. (laughs) No questions asked. (laughs) And and so, yeah, everybody was immunized, right? So... And then hearing, you know, older generations talk about polio and the blessing of the polio vaccine and then being on that cusp of having been gotten chicken pox like three years before the vaccine came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, I think I would have preferred the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> so... um those experiences are are fresh in memory and and also i think people uh, th- th- there's a generation the generation where you saw a lot of polio survivors mm-hmm. and talked to them on a daily basis about the physical pain or trouble walking mm-hmm. or um scarred you know, a scarred facial tissue from if you got the smallpox. Or, so all that is not necessarily in the lived experience of the current generation. But there's also a lot of people from my generation who had that lived experience who are anti-vaxxers. And that, to me, then becomes a now what? Trying to understand what caused us to shift from it's no big deal to people literally sending WhatsApp messages that there's a 
biochip in the vaccine that's going to control my body. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'd feel that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, there are people putting biochips in their body and, you know, God bless you if that's what you like. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm still not sure what I'd do with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then how do we get information in a way and, and it doesn't mean that everybody has to agree yeah, but if yeah. if if you're opting out opt it up to when you have information full information full information and not only about what it does for you mm -hmm. but the implications of what you're doing for the social space space because this, you know, trying to explain herd immunity, that's a difficult story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you were brought up in Kenya, right? Kenya and Puerto Rico. So after your primary school, that's when you moved to Puerto Rico, right? Right. Yes. Okay. So what's, what inspired that move? Uh, that was just family challenge. Mom and dad uh, split up. It was the entry of the Moy era. Mm. Uh, mom, having not grown up in a totalitarian regime, became mm. terrified for our safety. Oh. Uh, and uh, dad had, was at the cusp which, of the career which he's built. So mm -hmm. it also, it wasn't like an easy choice, like let's all just pack up and go okay. because he had just become chairman of the department. Uh, he was getting international recognition here. Mm -hmm. There was no similar job opening in the U.S. Mm -hmm. or Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough rupture for the family, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so... You've moved to U.S.? And, yes. Uh, so, yeah. So when we were there, uh, it was with mom's side of the family in Puerto Rico, yeah. Okay. Then, oh, she's not from Kenya originally? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, sorry. No, yeah. No, um, 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 what do you call it here? Point five. <laughs> pointy. I'm a pointy. Pointy is a very old thing. I don't know, I've never heard someone had say someone it for a long time. I know. I don't know, how, how, what, what do people say now? I don't know. Maybe it's the same, I don't know. I've never had that discussion for a long time. And I'm relieved that it's no longer had because there were so many myths around mixed children and I was like, I think we're just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so... Ah, now I, I understand. So now you've moved to U.S., you've done your high school, you've gone to university, you've now gone into this master's degree in public policy? Yes. And now you've been involved into the climate-related stuff. What, 
what specific did, um, kind of research did you do for your master's? <laughs> so it was actually nothing to do with climate. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was uh, manufacturing uh, transitions and how to get um, in, in innovation groups. Like if you, you're saying there's specialty steel and there's a group of specialty steel manufacturers, mm-hmm. how to organize a network in which they could come together and uh, create output and share their needs. And it was like, at the time, there was a concept of these uh, manufacturing networks and and, uh, looking at economic theory from cluster economics. And we, we, we thought we would save the world by building specialty clusters of different types of uh, economic specializations. Mm-hmm. And in some regions, it, it did. I mean, uh, it helped uh, in theory in terms of uh, transitioning from steel, like looking at the skill sets in mm-hmm. the steel industry and chemistry and sciences being some of that mm-hmm. and seeing uh, and the equipment and infrastructure that's there mm-hmm. and then also what's missing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you get a lot of also technology skills in IT and it, somehow on that, in terms of the healthcare sector, it survived better than the others and people seem to be able to transition. The other transition was construction, but that cluster of people in the Pittsburgh area who did the construction went to Florida and are the areas where construction was booming. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ones that stayed in Pittsburgh were more the design side in terms of retrofitting and, and uh, existing buildings and spaces and adjusting all that. So I did a lot of community development work mm-hmm. with neighborhood groups. Um, and in that development work, there was this notion you have in the U.S. called brownfield sites, which are the sites that are heavily contaminated and you're trying to you know you there, there's this site that has chemical toxins from the manufacturing industry that would take what 40 years to remediate and you're trying to put a mall in there mm-hmm. and how much how do you bring a mall in safely <laughs> into an environment like that so I think when when there's a lot of pushback in the African context that the clean tech is designed to stymie industrial growth in Africa, and I, I, I don't take it that way. I've seen I've seen the problems that, that you know firsthand. And the cost if we can't afford healthcare systems now, mm-hmm. um the, the billions that are needed to remedy the toxic chemicals are way beyond uh, current budget. So even though, yes, clean tech is more expensive than the status quo, it's still cheaper than fixing the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And to be able to somehow explain that, like, this is an opportunity 
uh, not a hindrance. And there's nobody saying don't grow economically, don't reach first world status, totally the opposite. It's just, it's kind of like when your parents say, don't do that. It was, I did it. It was stupid. Don't do it. And there's no need to find that out for yourself all over yeah, again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Man, that's interesting. I've ever heard of that. Like, okay. I've ever heard of that aspect where you're trying to prevent, is it pollution, right? From the start and trying to convince people who use steel why you need to do this as much as <laughs> there's the price to that, but at the same time there's the good thing that comes with it because now you prevent pollution and the, the down cost of removing the pollution out of it will now below like there won't be that cost right if i'm getting the whole thing there okay. might be different costs but the, the the one that we don't need to have let's not have it <laughs> yeah okay all right so in the engagement the were you able to con i don't know i'm trying to understand when people have this thing they've discovered and they're trying to make the people who are using that product to emulate that. W did you find any difficulty in trying to explain that? And did you get any successes from that, like interacting with the people who are using that? It's very hard. And, and you're, you're right about that because, um, and this is actually, I had to learn, go read about psychology to understand mm. this. Um, and and think of it like if if you you're used to uji for breakfast and you love uji and you know nobody's ever told you and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with uji because there's not I'm just using this as an example. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden somebody comes and tells you uji's got you here, but it won't get you there, and there means healthier you. And you're like, okay, so what do I need to eat instead of uji? And somebody says, crinkled oat. And you've never heard what crinkled oats is. What is that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And now somebody says, from now on, every day you'll eat crinkled oats for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why? Right? <laughs> so that's the same thing, the challenge faced when you're trying to do a new product. I can show you all the scientific data on crinkled oats. You're still going to be staring at me like, why can't I eat my uji? Yeah. I've never thought about it like that. So how do you overcome that? Like, is that overcoming that? So there's... There's uh, so on the acceptance side, mm -hmm. there's finding people who try everything and you know love it the first time and are willing to do demonstrations like, oh, well, I eat it every day, and you know, somebody's like, do you, how do you make, do you steam it, do you boil it, do you mm -hmm. put it in the microwave, and let them do the talking, mm -hmm. or um, 
people who just love to invent, you know, love to have new things in the environment. And they also teach you because, you know, maybe somebody's like, oh, I just made crinkle oat pie. And you're like, I didn't even know you could make crinkle oat pie. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Um, but then, of course, on the side that is the scientific innovation side, there's all the... Like, imagine going to Kebs, for those who don't know Kebs, which is Kenya Brewer of Standards, and saying, uh, I have a replacement for Uji, and it's called Crinkle Oats. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, what are the ingredients? Uh, what's, what, what's the standard? What's the product standard for crinkled oats? Mm-hmm. There isn't one. I just made it. Well, how are we supposed to give you a have certification rating if it doesn't exist mm-hmm. <laughs> what standard you know you can, and then of course you can't tell them what standard to use because you're the applicant right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh you go to then you somebody tells you oh remember uh there's uh kra which is the kenya revenue authority and you're like i need to have the vat rating for crinkled oats what is that mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and then are you making it here? Are you bringing it in? Oh, I want to make it here in the country. Okay, well, he, you know, here's all the different rating schedules for this ingredient versus that ingredient. And you're like, I just want to make crinkled oats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's the IP uh, uh, going in. Is this your exclusive idea? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you know, there's a group and, and uh, I don't know, uh, Western Kenya or Northern Kenya, Eastern Kenya, and I've seen them use it before. Then it's not your IP. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I'm not doing it exactly the way they do it. And then you get into all this Nagoya protocol and benefit sharing, you know. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> And so you have to go back and tell the community group, um, uh, try to explain to the community group, uh, how, what do you want as a benefit? Why? Because I want to make crinkled oats. What's that? Oh, I'm using this oat that you, you, you told me you use, but I'm crinkling it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why do you need us? Because we have to give you an IP benefit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's an IP benefit? <laughs> <laughs> and you know these are I know in, in the scientific t- sense there are probably people cringing like how can you make fun of this and I'm I'm, I'm not making fun of it because yeah. it's silly yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. just this is the 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 the, the story the telenovela version mm-hmm. of how do you get product innovation and what you actually experience in those conversations mm-hmm. when you're trying to yeah. get yeah. you process, know things to happen and the process exactly. 